Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. You see, it's not just a virtue, it's a command, it's an attitude. It's something that affects us. It isn't external, although most of our comparing is external. It's really internal. That contentment needs to be there. Now, Paul said he had to learn it. That means that by nature, contentment doesn't come to us. In fact, that sin nature of ours is really against being contented. And so I learn in everyday life how to do the command that God said. Learning life lessons usually aren't fun. Take patience, for instance. The experiences you have to go through to develop the kind of patience God is looking for in your life requires that you go through some tough situations. Learning contentment is much the same. You have to go through a lot of disappointment, realigning of thinking and desires. Pastor Mark will be using the life of the Apostle Paul to illustrate what things in your character have to die so that you can become more like Jesus in the characteristic of contentment. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Philippians chapter 4 as he begins his message, Content with Who God Made Me. Nineteen eighty-six. Linda and I were—I was still director of pharmacy. I was in a church in Merritt Island, Calvary. I would teach a couples class about a hundred, hundred fifty, in the class every week. And we had a party one night. And here's what the party was all about. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? It was called a poor taste party. That is me. That is Linda. That's my real beard. Somebody says, well, you put a fake. That was my real beard. I had a great looking beard. It was black. Why don't you have one now? I said it was black. I'm not stupid. So what we did is all the couples came and they were really funky dressed and whatever. And we looked at each other and we compared one of them. They voted for the most weird-looking couple there. I don't know whether they were or not, but we were weird-looking. Definitely weird-looking. Comparison is a... It's a big deal in our lives, comparing ourselves against one another. How many of you guys saw a little comparison this week on the NFL Network? How many saw? The draft was is all about what? Comparing this guy against this one, and this team against this one, and everything else. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about comparison. The very first thing I want you to do right now is you're going to have to look to the right and then the left and then front and back and in a moment. And I want you to see somebody that you're better looking 
or somebody that's worse looking than you. Go ahead, go ahead, just stretch your neck. Come on, come on. Look around you. Don't tell them, just look. Good grief. You might be in trouble. First thing I want you to write this weekend is this. Write it down. Comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills contentment. Paul says in Philippians, where you've turned, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I want to give you this morning a quick review of the two things we need to be contented with, and then the third one that tops everything. What does it mean to be content? Contentment is this, for a Christian, satisfied with God's plan for my life. You see, it's not just a virtue, it's a command, it's an attitude, it's something that affects us. It isn't external, although most of our comparing is external, it's really internal, that contentment needs to be there. Now, Paul said he had to learn it. That means that by nature, contentment doesn't come to us. In fact, that sin nature of ours is really against being contented. And so I learn in everyday life how to do the command that God said. Now, here's the first one that you want to write. The Paul says the first thing in verse 11 he learned to be contented in was his circumstances. His current circumstance, of course, he was in prison, he was in jail, he was in Rome. And he says, I just have to learn to be contented where God has me, because God is enough. Everything I do, God directs. So whether you're here today and depends on single or married or divorced or having a disease, you're losing a job, got a new job, a different house, whatever. Whatever your circumstances are, we need to learn to be content there. It's just a process I have to learn. Because if I'm uncontent, then nothing's really happening in my life. Discontent just breeds all kinds of things. Now look at verse 12. That's not enough. Paul says here, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul says, I had to learn to be more contented than just my circumstances. Here's number two. I have to learn to be contented with what I have, my material possessions, because God is enough. We learned that more stuff definitely doesn't bring contentment. In fact, very often, more stuff brings more discontentment. So I need to be content with my circumstances where God has me. And I need to be content with what God has given me because God is enough. But I can be content in both of those areas. But if I don't get number three, I'll never be contented at all. Here's number three. Write it down. I have to learn... To be contented with who God made me. Well, why? Because God didn't make a mistake with you. God is always right. God is always right. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. Let me give you a summary of it quickly. 
Jesus is raised from the dead. He tells his disciples to go up to Galilee. The disciples go up. Jesus meets them there and he restores Peter. He gets Peter alone and he restores Peter. As you're turning to John 21, let me tell you what Jesus says to Peter. He doesn't only restore him. He says to Peter, here's how you're going to die. I'm not sure I'd want to know that. So while that's happening, he's told Peter how he's going to die. Out of the corner of his eye, Peter sees John. John hasn't been part of the conversation. So look down in verse 21, what Peter says. When Peter saw him, John, the apostle that he spent three years with, he asked, Lord, what about him? See, all these disciples were so different. Peter says, God, you told me how I'm going to die. I want to know what you got planned for John. In other words, is is your plan for John's death better or worse than your plan for my death? I want to know how much you love me. I'm going to compare myself to John. Come on, Jesus, tell me what's up. Well, look at Jesus' answer in verse 22. I'll give you the Balmer translation before we read it. It's none of your business. That's what he said. Look what he says. And Jesus answered, if I want him, John, to remain alive until I return, hey, what's that to you? Then he says this, Peter, you simply follow me. My plan for your life is perfect. I've gifted you. You're unique. You're Peter. You're not John. You'll never be John. You simply follow me. The only way you can fulfill the plan that I've made for you is for you, not John, for you to follow me. You see, discontentment is always increased when we start comparing ourselves with one another. Now, I want to give you two dangers of comparison. Here's the first one. Write it down. Comparison causes insecurity. We become insecure because somebody's always better. And because of that, that reduces my usefulness for God. Let me show you how that works. Now, I wish I could say, as I'm teaching this, there's only like five people listening to me that ever compare themselves to anybody else. Uh, But that's not true. We all do. We all do. By the way, where do you think comparison came from? came from Satan when he was in heaven. He was created a beautiful worship angel. And when Satan looked at God, he said, what? Wait a minute. I'd like to be like you, not like me. And ever since then, we've struggled with comparison. God made him to be something. He didn't make him to be God. So... That comparison, all through the Bible, is spoken about negatively because it's a sin. Now watch this. Let me give you some examples. Pastor Mark, I wish I could live on Lansing Island and not in Palm Bay. (laughs) Pastor Mark, I wish I could lead a home group like that leader that I'm in. I can't lead a home group like that person. They're amazing. Pastor Mark, I just looked around here and I wish I was as pretty as the one right behind me. 
Pastor Mark, the one to the left of me had skin like a baby. Oh, she was amazing. By the way, that's women, in case you didn't know who that was. Some of you guys looked around and said, man, I wish I was as buff as he was. So how does it sound? Well, when we start comparing it, I wish I was richer, smarter, prettier, funnier, more talented -er, And on, and on, and on it goes. When that happens, here's what happens to me. I become insecure. And so I pull back. I doubt instead of trust. I begin criticizing instead of praising. Well, I know her skin is beautiful. She's probably spent thousand bucks on that. I think she said, let's see if I can find those things up there where they do that surgery. Well, that guy spends all the time in the gym, doesn't even have a job. No wonder he's buff. We assume the worst of people instead of the best. And the big one is this. When I feel insecure that I'm not good enough, I never step out in faith for God. And so that affects ministry. Now there's a flip side to this. Write it down. Comparison not only causes insecurity, comparison causes pride, which reduces again our usefulness for God. We've all been there too. As you meet somebody and you finish, you go, man, I'm so glad I'm smarter than them. My goodness. I'm so glad I can speak better than they do. I just heard them give an explanation. What was that? I'm so glad when I go home, Pastor Mark, my ceilings are 12 foot. That place that was last night, that home was 8 feet. Can you imagine having 8 foot ceilings? I'm so glad people respect me when I walk in a room. I attract attention. Well, how's that going to work for you? You see, what happens is God hates pride. And eventually, if you're prideful, God will not use you at all. Because you get the glory. He'll never do that. I've seen so many ministers fall. There's a danger. Now, Solomon understood this. In the Old Testament, he wrote some neat things. Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Look what Solomon wrote. And I saw that all labor and all achievement, talking about people, it's an old habit, 3,000 years ago, same problem. Achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. And so when I spend my time envying my neighbor, smarter, richer, better home, better car, better blah, 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 what happens? This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I'll never be able to achieve that. I just chase after the wind. How about you? Anybody ever catch the wind? You can't catch the wind. And then Solomon likes, I, I like this one because my medical background. Look at Proverbs 14, 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body. How can I have a heart of peace? Quit comparing. If I'm always comparing, there is no peace. But look how he says it. I love it. Let's read it together. Read it all out. But envy rots the bones. Didn't you like saying that? 
Envy rots the bones. What is he saying? It destroys us from the inside. Whether it's pride or whether it's insecurity. Please write this down. To be useful for God, I have to be contented with who God made me. The Bible warns us, do not compare ourselves against other believers. Because there's somebody always more talented, more good looking, more money, more stuff, more power. The reverse is exactly true. You see, I'm no better or worse than anyone else. I'm just me. The way God designed me, gifted me to be, God made only one of me. If my wife was here, you'd have heard a huge amen to all the campuses. You see, in the end, life is not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 12.3. Romans 12.3. Someone has said comparing ourselves to others is comparatively foolish. As you turn there, Paul kind of states it how it should work. I shouldn't feel like I'm useless, but I shouldn't feel better than anybody else. Notice how he writes it in Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given me, in other words, what we are is God's grace. We didn't earn it. I say to every one of you, all of you that are listening to me, now do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. What does that mean? I just want to begin thinking of myself as I, and you're going to see today, I've given you five or six keys that you'll know. I have worth. So I want to think that way. But I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not worse than anybody else. I'm just me. That's who God made. In the Bible, there's a parable of talents. You have to understand that in life, some people have more talent. Some have more gifts. Some have more money. Some have more opportunities. That's just the way God is. So in the parable of the talent... God gives a servant five talents, just as opportunities, gifts, whatever. He gives another one two, and he gives another one one. He said, well, I don't like that. Well, it doesn't matter. You're not God. So the guy with the five talents went and reproduced five. The guy with the two went and reproduced two. The guy with the one went and put in the ground. He's afraid to do anything. So God came to the one with the five, who doubled it to ten. And he said to him, way to go. Good, faithful servant. You've doubled what I gave you. Fantastic. You had a lot of achievement because I gave you the ability to have a lot of results. And he came to the one with two. And he said, wow, you reproduced two. How come he didn't reproduce five? No, he didn't. He said to the one that reproduced two, fantastic, beautiful. You did exactly what I asked you to do. And you're, well, you're faithful, just like the one with five. You see, he isn't comparing. When I stand before God, I don't stand with anybody else. Can you imagine me standing next to Billy Graham? I might as well just go to hell. Forget it. Don't even come close. No, I'll be standing and give an account of what I did with what God gave me. By the way, same for you. 
So there's no reason to compare. This comparing all goes back to a, well, it's a word called esteem. It means honor. It means self-respect. And we use the term a lot in the world, self-esteem, pride in myself. But we learn from the Bible that our worth doesn't come from what we do, what we have, what we've accomplished, or what people even think of us. Would you write this down? My worth as a Christian comes because Christ died for me. You see, my worth isn't really attached to this world. Jesus died to make me worth something. That's huge. Everything we have and everything we are comes from a right relationship with God. So parents, begin early in life teaching your children this. A healthy self-esteem is really God-esteem. So write this down. Here's what this means. Our self-worth as a Christian is tied directly to our God-worth. And since God died for everybody, when they accept Jesus Christ, we're all equal. My worth comes because the Father sent his Son to die for me. That's how I'm getting to heaven. I'm not getting to heaven any other way. Not because I'm talented, gifted, good-looking, richer. It has nothing to do with my works. I'm forgiven because of that. Now, what does God say about you and about me today? Let's turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you will. And scoot on down to verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12. Now, when you're getting there, everybody looking at me right now, everybody here wants to feel accepted. Everybody here wants to feel secure. There isn't a person that I'm looking at that doesn't want to feel loved and adequate. Everybody here wants to be living with purpose. Everybody. Well, how does that happen? How can I feel accepted and secured and loved and adequate and how can I live with purpose? It comes from one key verse. Here it is. It's in front of you. Let's read it. John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, speaking about Jesus, to those who believed in his name, believed enough to repent and accept him as personal savior, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's what I want you to write. Because of God, I belong. There's nothing greater than knowing you belong. Every Christ follower is a child of God. God is our Heavenly Father. In today's teaching, Pastor Mark taught about the danger of discontentment and the thinking processes that trigger discontent. You were warned about comparing yourself with others and how that will lead to dissatisfaction in your life. You were also told about the importance of learning to be satisfied with God's plan for your life, trusting that He knows best for you. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives, and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. 
We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue to teach about the importance of learning to become content with your current situation. He will be reminding you that your true worth is to be found in Jesus. His dying on the cross for you established your value to God. You'll also be learning about what the Bible says you've received because you're a child of God. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series, Contagious Outrageous Joy. That's next time on Lessons for Living. in a hurting world a new hope he is giving